Hello, everybody, and welcome to I Am Watching All of Johnny Depp's Movies, and I Don't Know What to Do With That Information, uh, otherwise known as Depp Impact, not the only podcast starting during the uh, COVID-19 <laughs> fiasco, but potentially the only one named for an Elijah Wood movie in which Johnny Depp does not appear in. My name is Jenna Kersey, but if you're listening to this, you probably already know that. So I'm going to get right to the heart of it today because I am so excited to have this person of the internet on my podcast. <laughs> um, he is the national best-selling author of Here For It or How to Save Your Soul in America and also a person on the internet on Twitter and on L.com. Uh, he's a playwright and the long-running host of The Moth in Philadelphia and D.C., Please welcome to Depp Impact, our Eric Thomas. Hello. I'm so Hello. excited. This is my favorite Johnny Depp podcast, so I'm very excited <laughs> to be here. It, it is certainly the only Johnny Depp podcast. <laughs> um, so I'm, I will wear that moniker with pride and potentially print it out and put it on my wall. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, Feel free. Thank you so much. Um, Eric, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you have any plugs for us? Yeah. Um, so I'm uh, pretty much every website. Um, I, like literally find me on the <laughs> Nextdoor app. Uh, <laughs> but if you're on Twitter or Instagram, my name uh, is Our Eric, O-U-R-E-R-I-C on both of those platforms. Uh, I'm also on Facebook. Um, feel free to, it's Our Eric Thomas. Um, and yeah, and if you haven't read my book, Here For It or How to Save Your Soul in America, it's out right now. Um, and if you're interested in um, political biographies that are sort of more a little poppier than your standard Ron Chernow piece. I've got a, a biography of uh, Maxine Waters coming out in October called Reclaiming Her Time. Uh, so I highly recommend that as well. I highly recommend everything that I do uh, because <laughs> why, if, if, otherwise, why would I be doing it? <laughs> so Truly. Yes, I feel very similarly. Um, and you can find me at less than a muffin on most places, uh, jennacurzy.com. And also, I'd just like to shout out to the Marsha P. Johnson Institute, um, because that's just a place that you should be directing time and energy. And if you have funds, funds too. Absolutely. But we're going to talk about, so I'm, I'm really excited to have Eric here because I think that the movie we're about to talk about is full of drama. And and people trying it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like top to bottom, this is two hours of like wig reveals and uh, lip <laughs> and like straight up tomfoolery. Mm -hmm. We are of course talking about uh the 2017 version of Kenneth Branagh's Murder on the Orient Express. Murder on the Orient <laughs> Express. <laughs> yeah, it is it's not it's a remake. So, let's let's get this straight. It is a remake of a movie in 1974 that was then remade into a movie in 2001, I believe. That was wow, made off. <laughs> yeah, there's it's deep to a book that was made in 1934. Right. I didn't know about the 2001 remake. I've got to look that one up. Yeah, I think I think that's the one Albert Finney was in, unless that was the 74 one. But there, it, it's, it's a deep, there's 
deep-seated roots in Murder on the Orient Express. And Kenneth Branagh decided, you know what, I'm going to call my friends and let them do it with me instead. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to star in it. Um, So, Eric, when I pitched this podcast to you, I was like, you can pick any Johnny Depp movie. And this was the one that you chose. Yeah. Why this film? Um, well, you know, it's interesting. There are a number of Johnny Depp movies that I have opinions about. Um, <laughs> some good, some bad, some ambivalent. But uh-huh. like, well, one, I think it was, it's the most recent Johnny Depp movie I've seen. So there's that. Sure. But also, yeah. I think I, one of the things that always, that perplexed me when this came out um, was that it was being pitched as a Johnny Depp star. And in fact, when I uh, rented it um, to rewatch it in preparation for the podcast um, on Amazon, it like the whole description is like Johnny Depp stars and Kenneth Branagh's Murder <laughs> on the Orient Express. And I was like, what? Like, and so like, I think the reason that I wanted to talk about it, the reason I brought you all here today is <laughs> that like, I don't understand this being billed as a Johnny Depp like vehicle because well, you know, I think we'll we'll get into like the the plot wise why, sure. but like also it's a movie that stars everyone from like Dame Judi Dench to uh, Daisy Ridley of Fresh yeah. Off the Star Wars franchise, and I'm like, this is a Johnny Depp movie. It's, right. it's phenomenal. So, and also like I went to go see it by myself at one of those movie theaters where <laughs> you order dinner, and I had like a whole dinner <laughs> by myself. Wow, what a time to be alive! <laughs> yeah, I. It, it, this movie is full of sirs and dames too. Like they're yes. everywhere. And Leslie Odom Jr. (laughs) just coming off of his Hamilton win. (laughs) like There's just a lot happening. Johnny Depp is in 20 minutes of the film. (laughs) Seriously, yeah. Johnny, like, I don't know where they filmed this. Probably, I mean, I'm I'm sure, like, you know, some studio in in London. But he literally, Mm -hmm. like, flew in for a week of, like, mustache (laughs) fittings and then, like, and left. And scar fittings, yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Maybe a little scar on his eyebrow. Because he doesn't like his face. Oh, my Lord. Oh, there's this one. Oh, my God. There's a beautiful image. It's so funny. The movie is, the first hour of the movie is all establishing shots um, of places and characters. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm like, folks, I'm established. Can we get like a scene or something? (laughs) And they're like, look at this glassware. Look at this mountain. Here's a dame walking into a room. Um, And then like, so we see Johnny Depp and he's like rude and he's this like gangster or whatever. And he's got this like weird accent as usual. And and then- Not British though. Not British, which is fascinating. He's like doing some sort of like New York, I'm a gangster accent. (laughs) Yeah. And then he like goes into his sleeper cabin and opens the closet and like looks himself in the mirror and he <laughs> scowls because he doesn't like his own reflection. And I'm like, okay, what are we doing here? Like, what, what, what information do I need here? Yeah, exactly. We're like, okay, he's a bad guy. Like, move, moving on. Right. You get an establishing shot within the first ten minutes of the piece of Kenneth Branagh stepping in poop. Oh my so gosh! Yes, that was necessary. Uh, in in case you haven't read the book people who are listening or have otherwise seen this movie we're gonna spoil the whole thing and i don't feel bad about it no if you haven't if you didn't read it when it came out in 1934 well tough tough cookies yeah you're done you're out of here if you're a if you're a new york gangster you're out of here 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think this movie is interesting as well because on Rotten Tomatoes, it's at a 61%. Interesting. Interesting. Fair, I think. I think so too. I think you and I might sit on the same sort of like opinion of this film. But the audience score is 53%. Hmm. Rotten in the eyes of the people. I think is I don't know what the people want. Like I don't know what they want. No, I will never know what the people want. I'll never like pretend to know. Case in point, Johnny Depp podcast. I don't know. <laughs> right. right. I mean, me? like I don't. I don't really know why we're remaking the Agatha Christie movies now. Anyway, I don't know that that's what the people want. I don't think. I mean, like, no. I think, I, I mean, it, it sold well enough and there's a sequel that's coming out apparently uh, yeah. soon, which is mm-hmm. weird considering that why are we still pretending that movies exist? Um, oh, right. <laughs> but like, yeah, like you've, I can't imagine. Okay, well, here's the thing. I, I don't know who goes to see this kind of movie. And yet I did, in fact, pay <laughs> uh, exorbitant prices and buy a meal for myself to mm-hmm. see this movie. So maybe there is a larger or wider audience, but it does seem to be pretty niche. It's a uh, it's a mystery set aboard a moving train in the 30s. Um, it's all, you know, uh, like it's all sort of like ooh, stealthy glances and backs. Uh-huh. It's like 100, you know, accuracy movies are, and novels are all like um, atmosphere for two hours for two hours <laughs> and then like five minutes of uh, backstory and exposition with flashbacks. And you're like, oh, okay, yep. that makes sense. Yeah, I, I definitely could have figured that one out. Yep. So it's niche. I like that niche. I like a mystery. I don't know that the, I mean, like the Marvel going public at large is really <laughs> like, yes, I want to like watch Daisy Ridley sweat it out in an interrogation with Kenneth Brown. Right. And eat cake. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's That's not number one and two on their to-do list, I guess. But I actually, I, I wish that I had seen this in theaters because I think it's beautiful. Oh, yeah. And that's not the case with a lot of these like big budget, huge green screen movies. Mm-hmm. I think that the effects of this movie are like, like, I don't mind the atmosphere. It's kind of the story that <laughs> loses me a little bit in this one. Yes. <laughs> because I just, it's all at the end, right? Like we're playing mm-hmm. catch Right. And that's the thing about mysteries. And like, I think, I don't know. I like Agatha Christie mysteries and novels, but like, I don't like in a mystery when you can't conceivably figure it out. Like if you, if I don't have any of the clues. And so like, it's really the delight in this. um, And this is, I mean, this is more mysteries than not. The delight is supposed to be watching an eccentric detective figure it out. Um, Mm -hmm. And it sort of depends on your capacity to watch uh, talented performers <laughs> do stuff uh, and have realizations. <laughs> Just um, do stuff. <laughs> and like, I mean, literally you're like, do you want to watch Judy Dench order breakfast? And I'm like, I think yeah. I do, I guess. That yeah. sounds like a great Tuesday. Yeah. I'm, right. I'm here for that. <laughs> I know now. So I guess we, I guess, I'm sorry. I think I derailed us. We probably should say what the plot is for those who haven't oh, seen it. Oh, yes. For the, yes. So here's a little challenge for you then. Uh, <laughs> you brought it up. So in, let's say five to 10 minutes, 
<laughs> or less. This is a huge movie with a lot of twisty turnies. Can you describe the plot Ugh. of Murder <laughs> on the Orient Express? Now, I have seen, this is a fun little fact about uh, Eric, that I have seen you defend Love Actually for t- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. at a stand-up show. So I have faith in you. <laughs> Oh, I appreciate you coming to that show. That was uh, that was a very fun show, and sadly so uh, a little underattended. It was so good. <laughs> so I, I have faith in you in this in this challenge, and it can be as detailed as you want it to be. It can be as not detailed as you want it to be. We know Judy Dench orders breakfast. We know she she's. <laughs> So this is a movie about Judy Dench ordering breakfast. And the mystery uh-huh. uh, is what will she order? And that takes place over uh, <laughs> two, two hours. hours. Um, <laughs> and then at the very end, Johnny Depp comes in and he's like, I'm bad. I'm bad. And then he's dead. Um, so and that's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, there we go. I did it in like 20 seconds. Yeah, um, well okay. done. Well done. <laughs> so it's weird. Here, that's the, here, Here's the thing about like a movie that's so backloaded with like plot machinations is that like i want to be like okay so in the beginning there was this kidnapping but we don't know any of this stuff until like the third act so i'll, I'll say nope. the way we receive it so there's this Great. eccentric detective hercule Poirot, um who uh has uh, his big thing is he likes order um <laughs> which is a little it's a you know okay whatever a little and, annoying yeah <laughs> yeah a little annoying he likes symmetry um and that and that makes him and he's you know he's a great observer of the human um, uh, situation. And so that makes him a great detective. And so we meet him late career. Um, (laughs) He is in, it has the temerity to open up on the wailing wall uh, in Jerusalem. Yes. Where he's been called (laughs) to um, find an ancient artifact that has been stolen, an ancient religious artifact that's either, that's been stolen by either a priest any mom or a rabbi and already i'm like oh <laughs> wow i don't i don't know that this is okay we're going let's do that sure <laughs> yeah good, good enough yeah and so like oh there's this sequence at the beginning of the movie before you know like we're at the wailing wall but he's in his cabin like he's in his, like in his dressing room like patty lapone and uh, les mis like you know <laughs> Like just waiting, measuring eggs, yeah, measuring eggs, yeah, and like so. There's this like cute little kid who runs back and forth, trying to bring him two like equally uh, symmetrical or uh, identical rather eggs, which mm-hmm. is just an insane. I'm already, I'm like four minutes in, and I'm I'm still talking about the first thirty seconds of the movie. Well, because it's actually like torture to watch this kid go back and forth. <laughs> Yeah, the perfect egg does not exist. <laughs> yeah, so we get introduced to this character who you're supposed to be like, oh, he's great, he's interesting, he's eccentric, and you, my first thought is he's a dick. Um, yeah. Now you may be asking yourself if you're listening to this. I thought this was a Johnny Depp movie. Yes, yes. <laughs> so uh-huh. did I. Johnny Depp doesn't yeah. come in for thirty minutes into the movie. Nope. So timestamp. Poirot solves the case uh easily using clues that we don't have um (laughs) who did who stole the thing none of the religious leaders it was a military guy doesn't matter um it just goes to show you that he's brilliant got it good great Um, (laughs) he's going on vacation um on a train uh he's relaxing because it's been so hard and we find out later he's grieving his wife 
or a girlfriend. Yeah, I, unclear. Catherine, not, her name yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. And like, so it's a little like, I'm like, I don't really need you to re- refrigerate and like an extra just so that I can <laughs> feel bad for him. Like, you just be sad. You know, it's okay. It's He's allowed to be sad, sad and overworked. Yeah, yeah, like, we're all sad and overworked. We get His it. His whole career is people being like, hello, um, someone has murdered someone. Can you uh dig up some some deep secrets and he like that's he's like a therapist uh yeah like you know for bad for people who don't want to be therapized um yes so he gets on the orient express and then we get a long sequence of um quick introductions to characters that i will say as a critique of the movie uh do not give us any information about these people at all um nope like Daisy Ridley, well, you know, the first he meets Daisy Ridley, who's playing a, a, a governess who's just come from teaching. Uh, he dis- he and he deduces this by uh, <laughs> the chalk on her sleeve and the uh-huh. composition book in her note in her bag. Um, and her hair or something. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> like she's got a whole Keira Knightley thing going on, which is delightful to me but also uh-huh. very confusing because they look exactly alike um, that tight jaw yeah i can't i i straight up was like oh i forgot kira knightley was in oh it's not nope not her okay right and the whole entire movie i'm like man daisy ridley is doing a fantastic kira knightley impression which is not <laughs> fair to daisy ridley what daisy ridley is doing is doing daisy ridley but i'm like i'm yep. not familiar with that um <laughs> So anyway, uh, let's get, okay, so the train, they're on board the train, there's all these people, there's a princess, Princess Dragmaroff, who's named Judy Dench, and her assistant, who is uh, Olivia Coleman. there's a doctor, mm-hmm. played by Leslie Odom Jr., and everyone has a comment about how the doctor is black, and I'm like, okay. Yep. I they don't sure know, do. Like, uh, we get it. It's old-timey racism, yeah. Yeah. How, how, how period appropriate. Moving along, please. Exactly. Um, there, Will, Willem Dafoe plays like a German a scientist. Like, I think we're supposed to uh, understand that he is a like he will become a Nazi in the next four yeah. or five years. Um, a lot, of, a lot of things happening for more old timey Ag- racism. Yeah, yeah. Old Agatha's like, I got a whole big old pot here, and I'm not going to stir <laughs> any of it. Um, so we also get introduced to Johnny Depp. Um, who is playing is. a guy named Ratchet, uh, which is hilarious. Um, yep. <laughs> and he's a bad guy, and he knows he's a bad guy. And he asks, he gets a ramp, he gets a like a weird little note that's like, "We're gonna get you" or something. Uh, oh my god, the notes letters. are so cute. <laughs> <laughs> what in arts and crafts project? Again, like the flex, the lip syncs, the cutout notes. <laughs> Yeah, it's like there's so many like the prop department went wild on this movie. <laughs> and like you said, the Hair movie is yeah. so cute. The movie's gorgeous. Like it's yeah. like they really did like give us give us everything visually and mm-hmm. nothing plot wise. And um no. so Ratchet is a bad guy who uh <laughs> like does I don't even remember what he does. He does bad guy things. He's a gangster. He's an art, he knows he's a gangster. He's an art seller. He's an art aficionado, as he says. Yes, so he, yes. Counterfeit art, which is another old timey thing. <laughs> right. I gotta I wanna get into that. Like selling yeah. some counterfeit Japanese be right? balloons or something. I'm sure. <laughs> Just sell counterfeit Macy's Day parade balloons. There's gotta be money. <laughs> There's gotta like, be. You want a Spider Man in your living room, don't you? 
Yeah, I, um, yeah, I do. I do. Yeah, right? <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> so what happens? So okay, he's a bad guy. He try, you know, he tries to hire Poirot because he gets this note that's like, "We're gonna get you. You're bad." And he's like, "I don't, <laughs> I don't want to be God, um, even though God. I, I am bad." And Poirot's like, "No, I don't represent bad people." Um, which okay, um, and sure, yeah. <laughs> then there's a really interesting sequence. Um, where there's a couple like Poirot's in his sleeping cabin and he has this like mustache stash mask, which when I first saw it, <laughs> I like burst out laughing in this theater because it, it's a ridiculous side gag. Like it's, it is. it's really good though. Like he conditions his mustache at night. It's, I mean, it's really good. And here, and that's the first clue that, that and then the next moment where there's all these slamming doors in the train hallway is the first mm-hmm. clue that I had that this movie should have been farce and is not. And that's peculiar to me. Yes. Um, so there's all these slamming doors. At the end of it, they discover, like, very quickly, rather, like, that um, uh, Ratchet is dead. He's been stabbed. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm going to fast forward because then there's a whole lot of Poirot being like, uh, oh, let's see. Let me interview all the suspects. Oh, also the train runs into an avalanche, but it doesn't like, uh, crash. Right. It just can't go anywhere conveniently. <laughs> um, and everyone seems to be like freaked out about this, but also like is okay that they're like, yeah, only for on one scene. Yeah, they're like, are we going like, to die? What's the heat like? Yeah, what's the heat like in this train? Right. Like, run- like the front half is covered in snow and you're like, hmm, all right, let me have some more tea. <laughs> That'll keep me warm. Ooh, exactly. Vacation. First class it is very <laughs> first first class problems, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> first class train problems. You know the deal. Yeah. Some tea. Um, so, oh, I will say, N- Michelle Pfeiffer plays this like what can only be described as uh, <laughs> to to steal from um, from John Patrick Shanley's. Um, uh, what is it? Uh, Joe versus volcano. She's a Fliberty gibbet. She, she, is, she is the definition of a Fliberty. Every, right? Almost every woman in this movie is a Fliberty gibbet. This is so true. So like, uh, like Penelope Cruz is like this goth Fliberty gibbet. She's like a nun who's very dark and, but she will talk your ear off and you're like, everyone ha- wants to say something. Uh huh. But Michelle so, Fiverr is definitely number one. Oh, she's amazing. She's playing this sort she's of pseudo vampy, like, uh, like husband hunter. It's very strange. She's like, but it's, so it's also clear that she's like trying to throw him off. Anyway, long story short, um, <laughs> a lot happens. And by that, I mean, really nothing. A lot of like fake outs. We think it might be Josh Gad. We think it might be Keira Knightley. Keira Knightley's mm-hmm. not in the movie. It turns out it might be Daisy Ridley. <laughs> she is then, not in the She's not. I'm like. I'm like. Uh, it's it's the the killer was was Keira Knightley, and they're like. No. Everybody thinks it's Leslie Odom Jr. Everyone thinks it's Leslie Odom Jr. because he's black. He thinks it's turns, Leslie Odom Jr. Like, yeah, and then Leslie Odom Jr. shoots him, and it's like, well, Leslie, you're not really helping your case here. Um, <laughs> and uh, but he doesn't shoot him bad, and that's what convinces him that like what really happened. So he gathers everyone in the tr- like on a super long table, like the last supper table in the middle of this Siberian or I don't, yeah, I I think it's, they're probably in Siberia. I don't know where they are. Yeah, probably. 
like train tunnel at the like right <laughs> off of a bridge on the side of a mountain and they're like can excuse me can we get the porters to set up six to seven tables <laughs> with chairs just on one side you know the last supper literally that and put michelle pfeiffer in the middle because she's yes. jesus but also she got top billing um <laughs> and everyone else around and like daisy ridley on the end uh, and mm-hmm. lucy boynton also on the end um she plays a a uh, person who's addicted to Barbertol. Um, oh, right. Yes. She flops around for most of the film. Yeah. Exactly. And everyone <laughs> literally has six seconds of, of screen time. Um, and it's revealed that, like, Johnny Depp, what used to be a gangster named Carsetti, who kidnapped this little girl named Daisy, not Daisy Ridley. Um, not Daisy and Ridley. And <laughs> all the people. Oh, and he kidnapped her for ransom. And then the parents paid the ransom but he killed the little girl anyway which i don't understand um and so then the parents and the mother died of grief and uh-huh. the father um committed suicide and everyone on the train is connected to this crime this couple in some way and yes. so michelle pfeiffer was the woman's the mother's mother and the grandmother of the kidnapped girl (laughs) and so she gathered all of them together and was like would you like to kill johnny depp and that is a great premise of a movie like everyone is so over johnny depp shit (laughs) that they're like yeah okay that sounds great yeah and there's an amazing sequence where like you know these train cars are big enough for like maybe two and a half people um Mm -hmm. and there's an amazing sequence where literally 15 people are piling in <laughs> to one train car and have enough room to shift around, passing a knife back and forth as they stab Johnny Depp as the movie promised. You want to see Johnny Depp get stabbed. And then they all file out like it's a clown car. And again, I was like, this should have been a farce. It doesn't make any sense that it's not over the top camp. No, and like the whole sequence at the end too, where like um, you know, Braun is doing his best Shakespearean, like Christmas. Oh my lord! And all of them are standing at the table, and Michelle Pfeiffer pulls off her wig to show her brow. How could I forget that moment? (laughs) And she just pulls out her stringy ass brown hair from (laughs) just blonde wig, and you're like, "Who did your wig? Who can style your wig? None of you." on this train <laughs> like a hairdresser <laughs> it's wild yeah she's got a perfect perfect curly blonde oh, wig like glamour it's fantastic Nine thousand. this is the thing i hate about movies where a character reveals that they're wearing a wig because it's like <laughs> did you do you have a wig maker a hollywood wig maker on staff like like I, you know, I right. live in a world where I'm aware that Juliana Margulies wore a ten thousand dollar wig every <laughs> season of The Good Wife and a different one. And so, do you have ten thousand dollars for this wig? I don't think so, okay. Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, you have them lined up like on in your tiny little train cabin. Did you shove them in a suitcase? Right. It was like, where are the wig heads in your cabin? <laughs> like, you know, like no, inappropriate. So then, like, what's also hilarious is that. Oh, she, I mean, like, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer clearly had the best agent of all the people in this movie, except maybe Leslie Lim Jr., because he got a pretty good, pretty good part. Um, yeah, his role's good. 
I like I do like I I sometimes look think about that movie and I'm like whose agent didn't really do them any any justice uh, and I think it's <laughs> Olivia Coleman. Um, oh, right, like, what a waste! Yeah, she's Oscar like winner six Olivia Coleman. Yeah, played like a <laughs> dowdy, the dowdy assistant to uh, like to Judy Dench, and I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, don't we so, know she's about to be the queen? Like, get out of here! <laughs> hello, she can do so much more. Oh, but Michelle Pfeiffer has this great monologue after she pulls off, like, in a, but like, first, Bron is like, it was all of you. You all killed him. <laughs> and we get this great black and white sequence of them piling out of the clown car. And then yes. she's just slowly, like, march across on Melrose Place, pulls the wig <laughs> off. And, like, the disgust, her disgusting grief hair is just, like, everywhere. And she, like, but then she, like, pulls it out and she looks great. Um, oh um, yeah and then she gives this very dramatic monologue and I'm like oh Michelle you read the script in advance you didn't just agree <laughs> you said I want this part I'm not going to be the dowdy maid I'm not going to be the the nun exactly. I want to be her right her right her <laughs> yeah her real name was something Arden but I don't remember her fake name she was giving a, 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 a fake name Caroline and, Hubbard Caroline oh. Hubbard never would have gotten that. That would have that would no, been the million dollar losing question on who wants to who on wants Jeopardy. to be a millionaire and yeah. also who wants to kill Johnny Depp. Yeah, Caroline Hubbard. So that's the movie, and then we get a we uh, we get set up for the sequel where Poirot is called off to Egypt to uh, because there's been a murder somewhere on the Nile. Oh. oh. Yeah, we sure do get that set up, which is actually kind of interesting that it's taken 17, 18, 19, 20, three, probably four or five years to get a sequel because they set this one up and yeah. did not find it directly after. Right? I'm like, like, aren't there enough people in Hollywood who want to work for two weeks, wear 40s clothes and make probably $2 million each? Yes. Yes, we're, there are. We're right here. We are yeah. We are right here. <laughs> Show How me where to sign. It. And I will be that like silly little prostitute in that one scene with. Oh my God. You know? Oh, I also, because you keep saying it should have been a farce. And I totally agree because it's set up like that fairly Mm -hmm. early on. Like the bad guy in the first case, he gets slammed in the face with a cane that's sticking out of a wall Mm -hmm. that like Poirot knew he was going to step into. There's all this stuff about like, I didn't move boulders. My name's not Hercules. And you're like, that's farce. That's camp. That's drama. What? What are you doing here? And it just takes itself too seriously at the end. Even like Josh Gad, like constantly guzzling drinks, like he's not in a Beauty and the Beast, you know, like right. It's just like all the elements of good camp are there, like wig reveal, mm-hmm. drink, uh, drunkenness, <laughs> hyper religious nun, um, a princess, like an old snooty princess. Oh, um, old snooty princess, number one, like that's hey, like professional ballet dancer who also beats up the press the paparazzi through flying split kicks excuse (laughs) me it's camp completely forgot about that uh yeah judy dench is practicing for her role in cats like yeah like it's all camp no and the thing is and i thought to myself how would i make this can't because like you can't just like put it in the camp because it involves the murder of a child and so i was like well the crime at the heart of this doesn't make any sense why would he kidnap a child 
get the money, and then still kill her. Like, it doesn't, it's a bad uh, inciting yeah, incident, I think. Like, so cut it all out and just make it a, like, he killed somebody that, like, is sympathetic, but not a child. Um, and, yeah. And then like, you if get it was the wife. Time. I guess yeah, if it was exactly. the wife. You know, uh, like, I don't know, like, I, you know, or any oh, like the like a, a conflicted mayor of a town or who cares you know <laughs> sure yeah uh miss um, chris we have some we have some notes so if you could please let your publicist Agatha right exactly get in touch with us <laughs> we have some notes to improve your um by all accounts masterpiece but <laughs> we just things aren't adding up yeah it's yeah. almost like want ratchet to be the worst human which is a Great choice to put Johnny Depp there, but he's irredeemable, but he's likable. So you're kind of like, wait, I, what, uh, whatever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like, kill him. I don't know. What do I, what <laughs> am I supposed to want from, like, like, here's the thing you cast Johnny Depp as a New York gangster bad guy <laughs> that you need to hate immediately for the movie to work and then you don't let him go full johnny depp yeah. I, I don't understand it that's a little weird and i so let's kind of like talk about johnny depp in this since we're naturally going that way i feel like he he is very subdued in this movie everybody mm -hmm. else is up to 12 yeah. probably except for like penelope cruz she's kind of just like floating along but yeah. he's not he doesn't let that grossness that I've seen public enemies and I've seen the other one that's exactly like public enemies, but that <laughs> black mass. Uh, and he's good at being bad. Mm -hmm. Oh, why didn't we let him be really bad? Cause I think that if he was a mustache twirling kind of piece of shit, this movie would maybe work better for me. I don't know. I feel the same way. I'm just sort of like, everyone's kind of, like, in terms of the way I'm supposed to feel about them, they're all kind of in the middle. Like, I know I'm supposed to, like, really identify with the plight of the the star-crossed lovers played by Daisy Ridley and Leslie Odom Jr., but I'm also like, uh -huh. I don't care. Um, no, not at all. I, like, the best, and it's interesting, the people who come out the best in this movie are Willem Dafoe, whose um, German scientist is actually a cover <laughs> for this, like, corn pone detective who gets yeah. two monologues like willem defoe's agent actually gets the number one spot he worked. i think yeah he like, worked hard. also he was only on set clearly for like a week yeah no yeah because he doesn't appear like he's mostly not in group group scenes he's like yeah i'll give my accent a work around <laughs> he's so good so many great gorgeous close-ups you can tell brana loves defoe um yeah and then michelle pfeiffer like they understood the assignment they were like okay you want me to do a reveal um, so I'm going to give you big first character, and then I'm going to give you deeply rooted, but equally big second character. Mm -hmm. And Johnny Depp is like, like, I don't know, like, I don't know what direction, because he and Brownot have this great, potentially great scene. Oh, that scene where, is fantastic. Right? Like, yeah. Depp wants the objective. Depp wants, or Ratchet wants Poirot to protect him, and, and counter objective praro wants a piece of uh uh the dessert that ratchet's eating like, <laughs> cake yeah he yeah. wants a piece of cake it's very clear camp masterpiece <laughs> camp masterpiece 
And so they have this sort of like, you know, what what in I guess in the sort of construction of the movie is supposed to be a meeting between good and evil or whatever. But what it really mm-hmm. turns out to be is just like the bad's not bad enough. The the good guy is kooky, but to what end? And I'm like, mm-hmm. can can we make bolder choices here? Like we're doing a murder mystery on a train. Like, let's go a little crazy. <laughs> Yeah, this is a trapped in small space play. Um, So I need you to start escalating your given circumstances quickly. Right. And like everyone is supposed to hate him enough to murder him uh, in uh, black and white footage. uh, (laughs) In sepia tone. Yeah. Every (laughs) single one of them grabs this huge knife, screams and stabs him. It's (laughs) It's the best scene. And that was yeah. put, that was put together in 2017. Like literally the best scene. And uh, I, I don't. And Johnny Depp like has th- like half second in there where I believe who's covering his mouth. I think it's Josh Gad is covering his mouth. Probably. Um, and then you don't even you don't get to see you see them stabbing, but you don't get to see him being stabbed. And I'm like, give us more. Like let I it. Know like, <sighs> Can you imagine seeing him just flail? That right? would. The cherry on top of it all. I'll be like, oh that's God. what we need a tonal check here. Yeah. <laughs> we need Johnny Depp flailing. The, yeah, the taking turns with the knife, the giant knives just in general. Oh, so good. It's, it's amazing. And Depp, like the whole, he's like, what, you want my dessert? You want my dessert? And he's like, yeah, man, that's, uh, that's that's it. Although I do think with this, they say something interesting in the first scene where Poirot is like, um, I can only see the world as it's meant to be and it is unbearable. Mm-hmm. That's kind of interesting with that scene, I think, because like, is he looking at Ratchet as, as the man that he's like supposed to be and that's why he gives him the time of day, question mark? Mm not as easy for them to like solve the case because he's like well this guy could be fine but also if this was a highly publicized murder case like they say it is mm-hmm. i just don't believe that some fucking scar-faced idiot like johnny <laughs> right. would be able to get away with that sort of uh dishonesty and still be in a dishonest field Right. Yeah. The whole premise is like they accused the French maid of it. And maybe this works out better in the text, but I'm like, we're introducing another character. And like, <laughs> congratulations to that day player who got like, you know, 20 seconds oh, yeah. dream time, like literally got their SAG in, card from it. Right. And like, you know, she goes down in my in, in my book along like as one of like the the great sort of like uh anguish screams by a character who is probably not even in the credits along with the woman <laughs> who discovers the body and talented mr ripley that's a great oh, anguish yes queen. and i'm oh. like i don't know who that person is it's just somebody screaming she did a great job and you know congratulations to casting french for those films. <laughs> yeah i like but to like, call them the meg of the show like the, the fan of the opera like meg comes out and she's like the fan of the opera and you're like who are you i need to know <laughs> more you are more interesting than christine exactly yes thank you yeah it's exactly (laughs) it so like yeah so this fake the the detectives got it wrong they thought the maid did it for some reason the maid ended up killing herself 
it's just so much collateral damage. And then Carsetti, who, which was Ratchet's old name, fled and was able to start a new life as mm-hmm. Ratchet, which, oh my lord, these <laughs> names. Um, and which apparently was n- knowledge that was not necessarily common, but easy enough for a random wig-wearing Michelle Pfeiffer to discover. Yeah, and like all 12... Because this is a big group of people. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of moving pieces here from across the the United States and the UK. Right? It's a transcontinental uh, in yeah. the 40s. It, they're telegramming each other. <laughs> they're sending cutout notes to each other. <laughs> Unlike the Pony Express. Yeah, it's not... It, there's a lot of questions that I have. And I do want... I haven't read the, the novel... So I do wonder if a lot of this stuff is answered in there. But this is a movie and it should be able to stand on its own without me having read the book, okay? Yeah, yeah I'm not interested in reading books. Thanks so much. Uh, that's why I'm at the movie theater. <laughs> um, as an author, burger. I'm not interested in reading, in reading books. <laughs> yeah, it's just like there's a lot of, there's a lot. And the fact that Michelle Pfeiffer had the wherewithal to reach out to all of these people as mm-hmm. well organize it not get intercepted in any way shape or form yeah and then send him notes like send send him notes notes that are like you're gonna get it buddy it's like (laughs) hold your cards a little closer to your vest i don't want to yeah how to do your whole murder thing but like michelle (laughs) fiber's like let me organize a plot of 12 people who to murder this guy when really i don't think the plot takes 12 people i think it takes two (laughs) yeah she probably could have done it on her own maybe with josh gad Mm -hmm. but like getting everybody else involved what what are we really doing here we all just wanted to take turns stabbing him in sepia like i don't understand right i'm like yeah she convinced she wrote to everybody she wrote to the princess dragomanoff or whatever her name is in yeah in belarus and was like dearest princess um would you like to stab a man (laughs) Once in a train car. Also, okay, you know, I know CSI, but there is no blood splatter on any of these people. Not at all. Uh, They wore one red dressing gown, remember? Right. But they didn't change The drama. Oh, my God, the drama. They didn't. like Yeah, when you see them stabbing, and Michelle Pfeiffer does the final stab, she's wearing these huge drapey sleeves. No, no blood on the sleeves. Like this is there's a corpse that's been stabbed mm. eleven times, and she's not like, oh, excuse me, <laughs> let me just go dip this like like a chip in uh, Johnny Ooh. Depp's blood. <laughs> and also, like, I can't imagine the train has laundry. Right? No. Right? This was a time before laundry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So were they all just sort of putting club soda on in the club car, like just like oh, I guess me. so. Yeah, they all went to the club car that they have like the big reveal in they're like all right guys so let's just wash let's wash let's do it oh my god we're the brady bunch here we go (laughs) so okay my question to you as a as a depth scholar is sure (laughs) why why do you think he chose to do this movie uh money um (laughs) fair fair (laughs) i actually (laughs) i think that there was a time in like all of these people's careers 
where Kenneth Branagh was like the filmmaker you wanted to work with. Mm -hmm. As he's like major Shakespearean or whatever. And he was like making interesting moves. He was friends with most of these people through one project or the other, mostly Harry Potter. Um, Mm -hmm. But I feel like if I was Johnny Depp and Kenneth Branagh was like, hey, you want to be the dickhead? You only have to be on set for three weeks and uh, we'll give you top billing and we'll pretend that you're the star and then you're not in the movie. I think if I was Johnny Depp, I'd be like, yeah, where do I sign? And you're going to pay me like $15 million to do it. And I don't have to leave France. Sounds great. Right. (laughs) So like, I mean, I also would sell out in a second if it was me. And if somebody was like, you want to do this movie? You're barely in it. I'd be like, yes. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of the goal. That's, I mean, like, I don't, I'm not a, and I'm, I'm not an actor, but I, my, my number one career goal is to be like the third or fourth build person on like a crime procedural where all I have to do is go to one table read and one day's worth of work and I still get paid. Yeah, like I exactly. don't want anything else. What a dream. And like, but I feel like all of these actors, this was probably a project that was pitched and it's like, we're gonna, you know, you're not gonna have a huge part, but that's kind of nice. And you get to hang out with like Judy Dench. Right, right. <laughs> And that's awesome. So yeah, I do feel like this this film was not a hard sell for these people. But then when they were like, but Josh Gad's going to get a higher billing than you. I'd be like, oh man, that guy. <laughs> that guy. You know I'm Johnny Depp, right? <laughs> right, yeah. He gets like a pretty, Josh Gad gets like a meaty role. Like he has a chase scene. He has a monologue. He's got a, he's the first suspect. It's yeah. like, this movie really was banking hard on Josh. I mean, actually, I think Josh Gad's agent has to move up in the first place. I think in the, <laughs> in the agent whose agent did the most work. Yeah. Well, considering like his next film was, um, Oh, what was that terrible video game one? I can't remember. Was he in was ready like, player one? No, it was a bad one. Well, he did Artemis Fowl as well. Like right around this time. And uh, come down the pipe yet. But, What's that one with Adam Sandler? That's how you know it's good. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I forget what. The, I know oh, what you're talking about. He did the Angry Birds movie. I don't remember, but like his agent was definitely working overtime. <laughs> right. I mean, the but Josh Gad of it all. The movie based on him. I have Josh to say, Gad. like, I'm very impressed with what Mr. Gad is doing with his career because he is definitely like taking advantage of a a, a interest that I think is outsized versus like Hollywood interest that is larger than the public interest. Um, Mm -hmm. And he just works. He books uh, all the time. Yeah. You know, on the strength of uh, Tony, I think winning or Tony nominated performance in book of Mormon. um, Uh That's, you know, very interesting, but like Josh Gad should really, kind of be a character actor and he's instead showing up in blockbuster after blockbuster yeah that's pretty good leslie odom jr too like he's in harry this year and that film was great and he's really like but it's clear that all these people are like all right broadway conquered that moving on Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) just also kind of interesting to think about right now in the year of 2020 right yeah (laughs) yeah Uh, uh, Everyone's like, I'm going to do Broadway and I'm going to go to Hollywood. And the reality is like, or you're going to sit in your house. <laughs> and maybe a movie will call you. Right. Uh, 
I also, this movie too was kind of interesting to me because it just, Americans are the worst. Yes. That's a big takeaway mm-hmm. from this. Every bad guy or mastermind is like, I'm a dumb American. Because <laughs> <laughs> the Europeans are kind of sitting back, like watching the whole thing. Again, Olivia Coleman in two scenes has five lines and they're all in German. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, her agent was like, you get to show off your German. She's like, okay, that sounds fine. <laughs> She's like, well, it's been on my special skills, but I haven't used it in 10 years. I was hoping nobody would ask. Right. <laughs> it's like juggling, you know, you're like, oh, man. I mean, I guess I can do it. <laughs> right. I mean, if you want me to. <laughs> and like Daisy Ridley, you know, she's she just kind of gets to be the emotional core, but doesn't have to work too hard at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's like, like the um, junior. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. We're just like thinking about the difference between that and all the Star Wars movies where she literally has to like run across the desert for hours <laughs> yeah. on end. And she's like, you just want me to put on like like a pair of heels and curl my hair and um, read a note to Kenneth Branagh? Okay. That hmm. sounds fine. Yeah. Again, sounds great. Where do I sign? Right. $15 right. million? I'm there. And uh, yeah, it's just, it was it was an interesting thought that I had when I was watching just the the Americans are the worst. And this is the start of Depp's face dropping as well. Like, Oh, yeah. To get those wrinkles that we weren't seeing before he was married to Amber Heard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and in this movie, you see those cracks and you're like, oh, that's why they gave you the scar. I see. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing that's interesting, particularly in this moment, um, you know, in this this iteration of Hollywood is seeing people aging out of their mo like actors get to freeze their look for a lot longer than they used to. And then Mm -hmm. for a moment and then like and then when it's over, it's sort of over and they have to choose whether they want to look like a plastic surgery nightmare or whether they want to become some sort of older version of themselves, yeah. i.e. like a normal human person. And I you know, <laughs> right. this, we're seeing that here after Depp has spent years underneath makeup and ridiculousness. And now we're seeing like, oh, he's like, but like, but he's not playing an older part. Like, I mean, you know, older, he's not, doesn't look like ancient, but like, mm-hmm. he's not, he's not using the, he the tools at his disposal are his his facility with voice his physical uh, like um ability and then also mm-hmm. this like slightly aged face that yeah. they've augmented with this scar that doesn't do anything <laughs> and i'm like folks why are you using the tools that you're disp- like any anybody could have played this role and that's what's confusing to me yeah i do agree with that Anybody, because you could just hide behind some sort. I actually think that um, Christoph Waltz would be an interesting choice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And because I think that he does, he has a similar identity type-wise to Johnny Depp, where I think that they play bad good. Mm-hmm. And we hate that. I mean, Inglorious Bastards is like the number one example of the most evil bastard that you've ever seen in your entire life. That Christoph Waltz plays, and you're like, man, why do I want to hang out with this guy? He is the worst human I have ever met. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Like and I think Johnny me- Depp has that same sort of like energy. Yeah, like the ability to like make evil compelling. 
um mm-hmm. and to and to play into like his type i think from pirates of being like the 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 compelling anti-hero um sure. and then to sort of work have that work like in his favor in sort of convincing us that we should like root for this guy and then be like, Oh no, he was killed. And then <laughs> have something that we care about in this movie. Yeah. It, there is no, you're right about that. No real stakes in that killing because you look at that guy and you're like, Oh, he's got to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he's got to go. I don't oh, know who well. else murdered on this train. <laughs> <laughs> I came into this theater to see a movie called Murder or the Orient Express. And here we and are. And if I don't see a murder. Right. <laughs> I, here we I are like, at the 30-minute mark. No murder. <laughs> we barely got onto the Orient Express. What's happening That's here? True. That's true. They do barely get on. There is no space. <laughs> What's fascinating about, and I haven't read or seen the original Death on the Nile, um, but like we know that from the beginning of Death on the Nile, the murder has already occurred, so we're at, we don't have to watch some uh, star try to, for some reason, dampen their appeal. I don't understand. Yeah, I don't understand. I'm actually curious to hear your opinion on this as a writer, then, because I think that it's okay to solve a mystery in a mystery like fairly quickly, or like tell us what's about to happen. You know, murder on the Orient Express. Okay, we have to get to the train because that's the Orient Express and there has to be a murder. Cool. Mm -hmm. And then like that happens, although in this movie it doesn't happen quick enough, but it happens fairly quickly. And then we spend the rest of the time just like living with the characters and then the Mm -hmm. solution, at least in the case of this film, happens all at once at the very end because the destination was not the point. It was the journey getting there. (laughs) Now, I don't know how you feel as a writer, but like, I feel like most mysteries take their tips from Miss Christie, but they might, I think they, they plot, like there's more breadcrumbs along the way. Cause I would never see this ending coming. <laughs> right. Well, there's nothing in, and I, I would bet, I mean, like, I, I you know, I, I have to give Miss Christie like the benefit of the doubt that like that this is a script, a screenwriting issue um, mm-hmm. which is also strange though, when you have the number, you're writing a vehicle that, you know, there's no way that this was written, not knowing that it would be, it would star a whole bunch of people, like a star, a whole bunch of stars. Like there, nobody's just like, let me just rewrite murder on the Orient Express. Like, <laughs> yeah, just, let like, me just sits and giggles. Let yeah, me let me see what, let me just tool around. I'm going to work. Let's just see style. what happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you've got all these great tools that you are then sort of shoving into the the margins to watch this guy who doesn't know anything walk through the middle of the movie. And like, from like a writing standpoint, I feel like you, like in creating a mystery, you also have the opportunity to give us larger and larger crumbs that indicate the, the depth of the web. Um, yes. and that can be seen. We don't have to spend every scene with Poirot, for instance. Like, yeah, I get it. He's he's the way in. But if mm-hmm. he's observing a lot more, if we are inside his head a little bit more, if he's stepping into into rooms and listening through doors and hearing people have vague conversations, um, uh-huh. 
I, I think it just makes more sense. And just the fact that like, it's all predicated on a backstory that we po- couldn't possibly <laughs> have known. Couldn't have even guessed. Like yeah. not even a shot in the dark. I'd be like, wait, she's pregnant. She died giving birth. Her husband killed him. Right. <sighs> it's what? all like, wait, instead of the whole holy wall scene, um, I oh, don't yeah. know why we didn't get some sort of device for him or some other character to exposit something about this this case that would seem like a non sequitur or whatever you know right. like, like did you hear about the daisy kidnapping how terrible anyway blah 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 <laughs> Just and then flip. we get to the train like everything has got to be driving the train only goes on one track and when you're telling a story and you've got like it's 16 different angles it, like uh, in 16 different tracks i like i think they're i feel like I'm not a script doctor, but I feel mm-hmm. like that <laughs> my advice would be like you are banking on the audience caring too much, caring m- more about Poirot than we're going to. Um, yeah, I agree. Interesting, Brana, but Brana is not the biggest star in the film, and no. And so, like, what are we thinking is going to happen here? <laughs> like, that is pretty funny. Well, that's like, you know, who plays Hamlet? And Kenneth, Kenneth Branagh directed Hamlet. Right. Well, right. I don't know. Maybe uh, Jude Law. No, Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> like, that's the one. He's he's yeah, the guy. Yeah. So, like, yeah, Kate part Winslet, of this is though. probably, like, probably Branagh's doing. Um, like a Vanity Project situation. Yeah. I don't know. It just feels... I just like watching <laughs> somebody who doesn't know shit from shit go through room, <laughs> walk through a train as like Oscar winners turn slowly and look at him does uh-huh. not a movie make. It's just uh-huh. wild. I forget the other thing that he says too, where the guy's like, well, what do you think? Why is that your hunch? Cause he like says something outlandish with no, actually no, uh, clues or hints or like um i don't know kernel of truth and he's just like this is an out outrageous claim and he's like how do you know that and he's like well i'm not famous for being uh wrong you're like what, <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> but yeah i do i do agree maybe the it would be so interesting to have seen like the event before because mm-hmm. also this road to it because we don't know that he knew these people until later. Right. <laughs> He's just like telling a story. He's like, hey, remember that case? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> sure. But then he didn't take it. So like, what do you know about it, dude? <laughs> like, you walked away from that case. So is this also your your ghosts catching up to you? Is any of this real? We're not right. scripted, yeah. but we play it on TV. Yeah, like, I don't... <laughs> It's, yeah, it's, it's a, a strange one to like begin. I don't know, Matt. Now I'm like really, really tempted to watch the original movie version because people like it so much. Just to see, is it structured differently? Because a train is such a great device for telling a story, a camp far story, hopefully, but even a regular story. But mm-hmm. not if it's literally just watching somebody walk through different cars and not speak to anybody like you've got all these yeah. little compartments to have little scenes and so passes in the hallway and like here's the other thing oh this is what makes you crazy so <laughs> ratchet apparently doesn't recognize 
any of these people, some of whom are directly related to his most famous crime, but whatever. Uh-huh. Um, his no only idea. murder, question mark? Yeah, like... Yeah, his, own, his only murder. <laughs> like, he flirts with Michelle Pfeiffer, but the blonde wig doesn't tell him that this woman, who's also <laughs> apparently a famous actress, is the mother of oh, the right. woman who whose daughter he kidnapped. Okay, whatever, sure. That's... He- I, whatever but like go a long way whatever you know i guess yeah he's like i've never seen a wig before so what how would i know (laughs) it's the 40s but like it's the 40s so he doesn't know any of these people poirot doesn't know anybody or know anything is happening and then all these people by nature of their crime are not are pretending to not know each other so it's literally a bunch of strangers who never stop being strangers. Like, when does the veil come down? Like, oh, yeah. like three minutes before the movie's over. Yeah, I, I guess know. it's when they're all seated at the right hand of the father that we uh, <laughs> that we learn how they know each other, right? And that's, why aren't they like conversing? Yeah, I don't know. And they're all just sitting there. Oh my god, they're all just sitting there staring straight ahead. That's so funny. Yeah, I don't know. Like, when did the planning happen? I feel like somebody would have heard. It's a big-ass train. Why are these our only uh, passengers? <laughs> it's yeah, very very, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think they, they sort of try to explain it like, oh, well, the doors to the other cars are locked, and none of the other passengers are suspects. Okay, but there are other passengers, and they're all like, yeah. why is there a table set up in front of the train when we could <laughs> be going? Is this what we're using our coal for? Like, get out of here. Get us right. out of here. I, I got to beat it. I want to see a movie where, like, there's a murder on a train car and, like, the Poirot character shuts, like, shuts that car down. But another, there's, like, also another murder on another train car and there's another, like, another detective. And they, like, fight Ooh. each other to figure out, like, well, I can figure, I'm more eccentric and I need to use this little gangway to have a chase on and well i need the long table okay well, can you get it at noon and i'll get it at 1 p.m and we'll, we'll like, all right re- we rotate we'll all through report back yeah, yeah. and <laughs> i get to use the monocle i get to use the magnifying glass exactly who did you rent it out everybody oh everybody did mine too wow everybody's <laughs> doing all these murders mm, this train sure has a lot of murder <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and we did not even discuss the fact that Michelle Pfeiffer gets stabbed. She volunteers to get yes. stabbed back. And then we never talk about it ever again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ever like the whole, the conceit is, well, Leslie Adam Jr. is a doctor, so he knows how to shoot, and, and a sharpshooter, so he knows how to stab and shoot without causing grievous injury. <laughs> okay, but he literally stabbed her in the back. And yeah. Like, She's not like, I guess she gets medical attention. Like they pull the knife out and then they leave her on the floor. And she's like, ow, oh my gosh, someone came in here and stabbed me. She was in my bedroom. And they're like, you know, and they're like, okay, we got to go find, find the the stabber. And she's like, okay, thank you so much. Um, (laughs) Nonsense. Doctor. Yeah. Medic. (laughs) Somebody get this knife out of my bed. Oh my god! And like Poirot's like, oh, this is all a ruse. And it's like, well, then there's a waste of time. And now you've got a scar on your back. Also, she's still bleeding while she's giving this monologue in her, with her sad hair. It's amazing. Yeah, and like we know that stitches back then probably wouldn't have lasted through that monologue with that no. emotion. Never. She would have no. busted right out. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh my God. I can't like wait, that decision alone is I'm like, okay, you're trying to throw the, here's the thing. You're trying to throw the killer off or the, the, the detective off the trail. There is no mm-hmm. trail. You literally created kind of a perfect crime where everyone's the guilty party, but there's huh. no way to figure it out because not like, I mean, that's, you know, that's the beauty, I guess, of the of the movie. It's that, like, who could have figured this out, which is annoying for an audience member, but interesting, I guess, for the character of uh-huh. Poirot. But, like, Michelle Pfeiffer just needs to stab herself because it's like, who's going to think every single person on this train car colluded, s- broke the laws of yeah. physics, squeezed themselves <laughs> into this car, stabbed <laughs> this guy because they all have a tangential relationship to... Also, why were they on the same car? If you're going to... If you're going to yeah. commit murder... I guess they probably have to. Maybe the cars are locked. I don't know how it works in the train. Yeah, I was going to say spread it out. I'm not sure. But the that's actually interesting what you just said. So do you think that if Poirot, because I, I guess he wasn't supposed to be on that train. Right. If he wasn't there, would they have just gotten away with it? And were they like, was the murder predetermined and thought about? And then when he got there, they were like, shit, we got to cover our tracks. I think so. Yeah. Like... And what's weird is that they do, like, and, you know, there's a little sequence where they, like, sort of talk about it, where they're, like, hiding, so they hide something in the, in the, the princess's cabin. Uh, yeah, it's the, the, um, <laughs> the kimono. Oh, the right. Kimono. Yeah. The and then they hide. And then the fake conductor's outfit. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. In his Somebody cabin. dressed up as a conductor. <laughs> I get, like yeah i didn't a, tell olivia coleman because she's like well i told i told the conductor and they're like well, the conductor's right here and she's like well there's the other one and they're like there is no other conductor <laughs> so, like, they forgot to tell hildegard like don't say anything about the conductor <laughs> right yeah it's all very confusing i'm like oh, wait you created a second plan afterwards and that plan involves taunting this famous detective. Also, you get on a train and you meet a famous detective and you're planning to murder someone, maybe just don't murder him that day. Like, yeah, maybe wait. Maybe just like wait for the next stop. Follow yeah. him off. <laughs> I don't know. Like, or kill the detective. I don't know. I'm confused um, about every part of this plan. It, it, it brings me no joy to say this because I do believe that Michelle Pfeiffer can do no wrong, but I think her plan was bad. I, I think it was a bad plan from the start. Yeah. I, uh, she didn't, uh, she didn't set herself up for success. She did not. Then, <laughs> she's just like, well, I don't care. Cause I want to die anyway. And points oh the gosh. piss at her face. But of course, Perrault wasn't going to give her a gun with bullets in it. Right. A detective. He's yeah. not an idiot. <laughs> like, He's like, this was just a moral Michelle. test for no reason. Oh, yeah. Also, like, the drama of a moral test. Oh Dude, we're murderers. We just determined that. They don't care about you. Yeah, the movie seems to be preoccupied with this idea of morality and, like, losing it and gaining it. And I don't think... One, I don't think I care about that. Uh, and two, I don't know that that's really explored adequately. They're like, oh, we, what is the soul? What, what are we doing? And it's like, okay, move along. Just run up and down the corridors of this train, please. Yeah, please. Back and forth as fast as you can in a kimono, just blowing in the wind. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, here's the thing. I have now seen this movie twice. And 
uh, both times when we get the reveal that the Pope running down the hall with the red <laughs> kimono, like every time I think it's the Pope and like, <laughs> it's not, I don't know what we're supposed no. to get initially, but it's, it's revealed where Daisy Ridley looks back and it's like, it's her, she's wearing this turban, but she's not wearing in the, in the room. And I'm like, what, what does this mean? What, what is happening there? And it almost feels like some like veiled, you know, like the bourgeoisie can run away with murder and stuff. But then you're like, <laughs> I don't, I, what? Okay, sure, I guess. <laughs> Still yeah. doesn't explain the turban. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Like she got into this weird, because like also Michelle Pfeiffer was wearing a turban in mm-hmm. the scene. Well, I would assume it's because she didn't have a good wig on. Exactly. Well, you know, it's, it's after dark. You got you to take your good wig off. <laughs> it's a known fact that a woman do take her good wig off. Yeah, it's <laughs> it is it is the only rule in the the famous actress rule book. I like. I just. I. I. I see. There are just. I can now. It's amazing that a movie that is. I think unsuccessful makes me want to go back and watch another movie and read the source material just to find out what the hell happened in this movie. I know. Isn't that funny? I, so you'll be really upset when you hear what the uh, original cast was (laughs) because it's really good. So Albert Finney played uh, Perot. Fantastic. Clearly. Uh, Lauren Lauren Bacall is um, Michelle Pfeiffer. Wonderful. Perfect. Ingrid Bergman plays, um, uh, what's her face? Penelope Cruz. Oh, interesting. So we made it a little less white, still white, but yeah. a little less. <laughs> one. Uh, Anthony Perkins plays Josh Gad. I also love that I can't figure out their character names. So they just play the actor. I love it. Um, <laughs> Vanessa Redgrave plays Daisy Ridley. Oh, interesting. So a young, a young Vanessa Redgrave. Interesting. Yeah. And Richard Widmark. I don't know who that is. Familiar with plays Johnny Depp. Looks like he was like a Western star guy. But that's like, that's a cast. I guess if you look at the 2017 cast, though, that was like all of the actors that were doing their best work at that time. Yeah. Like, there's no real super, well, Johnny Depp's next movie was Sherlock Gnomes, but we can talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, you know, Judy Dench hadn't yet done Cats. Mm-hmm. There's at least four Oscar winners in this cast, I believe. Yeah. No, it's stacked. I mean, it makes it, you know, it is it is a marketing dream. And that is probably I think that's probably one of the issues is that they're like, well, this will sell well. And it's like, yeah, but like the original had really strong actors who I presume are giving really interesting performances in a really solid script. I don't know. I have not Mm -hmm. seen it. I'll watch it tonight, maybe. But like. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I'm just yeah. my whole life. You're on an agony Christie spiral. <laughs> yes, it's all gonna become Johnny Depp. Be careful. Be careful. Right. <laughs> my life has been punctuated by Johnny Depp for two years now, and it is <laughs> questionable at best. Yeah, I do I do wonder. Like I wanna gather all the suspects in a room and ask them why you are doing this uh this spiral into Johnny Depp's career. Like <laughs> Yeah, uh, and I'll give you a three-minute monologue at the end of it. And tell you what. 
really it was based on the fact that my show, Johnny Depp, a retrospective on late stage capitalism mm-hmm. was canceled. And so I was like, well, I'm going to just take the information I was doing anyway, which was watching all of his movies and ask my friends to talk about them and then revisit gems like this, you know, <laughs> which actually don't, I don't mind this movie, but it's, yeah, I, I wish that the sum of the parts added up to something compelling as a whole. Yeah. It's interesting because it's it's very pretty, um, and everybody here uh, exudes celebrity stardom, um, mm-hmm. which is really nice. And maybe that's I mean you know like you that talk about late stage capitalism like that's clearly part of the problem. I think is that I'm like yeah. I just they just seem famous and I like that. I um, know, and so we're just like give me you can take my money <laughs> and my chicken tenders that right. I bought. It. Exactly. Because I so, think this film did pretty well money-wise. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, it did well enough to, to get a sequel greenlit with Army Hammer and uh, Annette <gasps> Benning. Um, right, Annette Benning. I mean, what I love also is that oh. every, like, there's all the different roles. It's like the, you know, the older actress, um, but not, you know, not like the middle age, late middle-aged actress. Um giving you a meaty monologue and then there's mm-hmm. i think there's probably oh uh gal gadot is in it um oh. in, in the sort of daisy ridley role uh actress who's on the move uh army hammer is the sort of swarthy male lead i don't think he has a counterpoint counterpart in this movie maybe i guess uh, leslie Ellum jr um yeah probably like which, somebody like who's a young upstart but also not I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, so good job for good job to Leslie Odom Jr.'s agent for getting him that slot if that's what's going on here. Uh-huh. Um, but who can say? I don't know. Maybe maybe Army Hammer is in the in the Johnny Depp slot, which is a sort of like lead uh, man. Interesting. Army yeah. Hammer sounds like he talks in slow motion. Is that just me? <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I completely <laughs> agree. Yeah, he's just he's thinking things over. Yeah, he's he's mulling it about, and somebody recorded him at an interesting. Oh wait, we didn't even talk about who was the. We didn't even mention him. Who plays the old uh, butler? Oh, Derek Jacoby. Yes, we also we deserve to give him a shout out because he shows up and has cancer. Right. Yeah, like (laughs) in Poirot's, he's like, oh my toothaches, and Poirot's like, it's not a toothache, he's cancer, and it's like, okay, (laughs) wow, you're really. You like to you reach, my friend. Um, yeah, you have you have nothing to lose, so therefore yeah. you'll kill him. <laughs> it's oh. amazing. Yeah, like Jacoby, like Jacoby's character particularly is very interesting because he's like a butler who hates Johnny Depp, um, but works for him <laughs> anyway. But also, but is secretly was the valet of the the father of the kidnapped the rich girl. people. Yeah, very strange. It's a lot. He's, they're all like, "Why don't you all just kiss? Will that solve it?" <laughs> right. I do, however, I think one of my favorite genres of movie are pe- are people whose backstory goes goes uh, uh, takes place um, during in the theater of war. Like in like White Christmas is my favorite example of this, which is not a mystery, but it's like mm-hmm. all about like Danny Kaye and Bing Crosby were soldiers together in World War Two. And they like and that's like that's their backstory and like and so they decide to like put on a sing- song and dance show 
I don't know. Um, <laughs> I love that. I love people. I, like, I don't want to see foxhole conversations. I don't, I don't need that. Uh-huh. But I need people to be like, he was the best soldier I ever knew. And I told him if we <laughs> got out of uh, Italy alive. I give him my firstborn. And that's why yeah. I gave him my firstborn. <laughs> and you're like, oh, yes, of course. It makes all the sense. Yeah, we we promised we'd tap dance. So now I'm a great tap dancer. And you're like, oh, that's amazing. It's so good. We don't get that yeah. anymore. No, not really. And there is something interesting about like the people, like people who go through something traumatic, like a war together, and you feel like that's like you're bonded for life. Mm-hmm. And that's like a more, you know, heady version of exactly what you're describing. No, I mean, that actually that makes like dramaturgical sense. Whereas I'm like, yeah, I like what they said they were in the war. <laughs> <laughs> I like that part. <laughs> But like these characters too, they were kind of in like a war of sadness a little bit. Yes, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, they're all yeah they're... common enemy. <laughs> Wait a minute. I want to find out when the book was written. Well, okay, the book was written in thirty four. That's right. We you said that before. Because was, was like, there a war? <laughs> well, I guess they're talking about World War One. Um, yeah, but it's pre World War Two. But it's interesting because it does seem to. I don't know. It, it's like I would have thought that it would be would have been written either during World War II or after because it does seem to, like metaphorically, it's like these people went from one war to another one. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, thirty four. They've just come out of the first World War. Um, I think yeah. I don't really know that much about history, but I presume that I think it was over by thirty four. Yeah, I think so. So. The- yeah, that is pretty interesting. I Agatha Christie is just like a an anomaly to me. I feel mm-hmm. like she really complicated things at a time when like I just I don't know people weren't talking about stuff like this or like this was new. Mm-hmm. And so to to watch it now, we're like, well, it's that story. But in the in the thirties, it was it was that story. <laughs> it was, <laughs> right. So it does make me wonder what the point, except for like giving all your friends jobs and letting yourself play this like legendary detective character. Why else you would remake this film? <laughs> <laughs> I guess. And that's like kind of my my concluding thoughts on the film. In a way, is like why. I just don't know if this remake was necessary. It's beautiful. Mm. They look great doing it. The costumes are alluring. The mustaches are present. (laughs) (laughs) The drama is plentiful. But to what end? Because I don't think that like the story is quite clear. Yeah. No, I think that's I think that is exactly right. You know, it's sort of it's like some of the reviews I've seen of the movie Judy where people say, well, it looks like she had fun. Um, and <laughs> bless, her heart. <laughs> bless her heart. And I, you know, it does look like they had a good time. Um, and, or if they didn't, it looks like the check cleared. And so good for them. The check sure did clear because we haven't heard anything from 2017. So <laughs> right. I guess these people, uh, they were pretty happy with their experience. Yeah, even like working with Johnny Depp, who's like, you know, has 
some notoriety around like set behavior like there's not even like this isn't even a movie where there were like onset feuds even cat had on cats had onset feuds i'm very perplexed about this people just showing up and going to work movie yeah show up do the thing say the lines get off stage (laughs) you know yeah uh yeah that is interesting but it also could be because people aren't necessarily there for that long so they don't have long enough to get on each other's nerves that's true <laughs> who knows we're what like they need is jared leto wildly. he he can do it in oh a he'll stir the pot yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, can you imagine god no, no thank you i will take johnny depp over jared leto all day every day mm-hmm. you heard it here first <laughs> depp impact uh any more closing thoughts about Jared Leto or about this? <laughs> oh God, yeah, oh yeah. Like, let, me, let me let's give all the problematic actors our time and attention. No, yeah, no. Yeah. This is, that, I think you're exactly right. This is a movie that uh, didn't didn't quite complete the assignment as as given. But I'd say it's probably out of ten. I'd give it a six out of ten. Six yeah. and a half. I you know I enjoyed the rewatch. Um, it it is. I don't know, you know, and it's oh, I, my one final thought actually is that it is um, Kenneth Branagh's second movie to be filmed on 65 millimeter. Um, the first was Hamlet. And I found that out by watching the movie on Amazon where they tell you little things that aren't oh. useful unless you're going to go on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah, I so. do wish I saw this in theaters then. Yeah, well, when they reopen theaters, there won't be anything to show. So they'll just show this. Yeah, I'll have to write in. I'll be like, can you please do this? (laughs) Please, just for me. I'm a famous podcaster, and by famous, I mean two two people listen. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This was such a joy uh, talking to you, Eric. Can you remind the people where they can find you on the interwebs or otherwise? Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, this was great. Thank you so much for having me. Um, And you can... Find me on Instagram and and uh, Twitter at our Eric O U R E R I C. Uh, I'm also on Facebook. If you just search my name, our Eric Thomas. Great, and I will link all of the places you can find Eric, as well as a link to his book, <laughs> um, so that you can purchase here for it. And you can find me at less than a muffin or jennacurzy.com. And thank you so much for listening. Eric, thank you so much again for being here. And uh, goodbye, everybody. Bye.